Today we're going to be uh, wrapping up our sermon series on being thirsty for God. And so we've looked at prayer, we've looked at God's pleasure, we've looked at God's power, and today we're looking at God's perspective. And this is an incredible topic and it's really, really deep and we've got lots of things going on this morning. So um, I'm going to hurry through um, the, the passage and get at what it's looking like being in God's perspective. But I put out on Twitter this week, and I was uh, preaching about God's perspective, are there any thoughts? And uh, one person came back to me saying, God's perspective, it's like he's really, really high up, and uh, we're really, really small, because God's really, really high up. Um, So God's perspective is God is high up, and we're not. Um, I'm going to preach a little bit more detail than that, but um, I thought that pretty much sums up what C.S. Lewis says, because C.S. Lewis talks about God's perspective being like a different dimension to us. He says, imagine a piece of paper with a little stick man drawn on it. That little stick man would really struggle to begin to understand the fingers that have drawn it and how thick they are let alone the world that the artist is walking in. And in the same way, we as God's created beings see life from a totally different dimension and perspective on him. So what does it mean for us to be thirsty for God's perspective? Why should we thirst for God's perspective? How should we quench that first and begin to see the world the way God sees it? Well, I want us to turn to one of the coolest passages in the Bible. And it's found in 2 Kings chapter 6. That's 2 Kings chapter 6. I'm reading from verse 8 onwards. Um, and because it's in the Old Testament, excuse me if I get all the names wrong. But it says, uh, 2 Kings chapter 6 verse 8. Once when the king of Syria was warning against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, at such and such a place, it does actually say that, it's not me this time, (laughs) at such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God had told him. Thus he used to warn him so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of these things. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king. But Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he says, Go and see where... He is that I may send and seize him. It was told him, behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariot was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. 
So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike these people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer. And Elisha said to them, This is not the way, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. As soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. As soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? He answered, You, you shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away. And they went to their master. And the Syrians did not come again on, on raids into the land of Israel. This is one of the coolest bits of scripture I think there is. I love it. You've got absolutely everything in this passage. It would make for a really cool movie. You've got the drama of the soldiers arriving and their impending danger. And then you've got Elisha who I think of as kind of a Gandalf calm looking character. He's kind of got this whole, it's okay, we've got the army, we've got angels, we've got an army of angels, there's no problem, we've got this covered. And it's just one of the best passages. And then you get to the end of the passage, the end of this account, where the king is like, okay, should we just try and ki- should we just kill these people that want to capture me? And Elisha's like, nah, let's give them a massive feast and then send them home. It's an amazing account. But my favourite character in this account is Elisha's servant. So he is this guy who goes around with Elisha, helping him do all sorts of prophetic stuff. And what is happening is Elisha's getting all these prophetic words. And by prophetic words, I mean that God speaks to Elisha and tells him things that are about to go on. And the things that Elisha could never have known without God intervening. So God's been telling Elisha where the rival king armies are going to strike. Elisha then goes and tells the king of Israel, and he then explains this to him. So the king of Israel then goes and puts strength in those parts of his territory so that they are always one step ahead of those trying to attack him. So politically, he's really, really helpful to the king of Israel. And you can just imagine the life of his servant. As things get more and more political, he seems to get more and more nervous. I imagine when this young man decided to go and serve Elisha the prophet, he thought, I'm going to have a nice little life in ministry. I'm going to help the prophet. I'm going to help him bring nice words of God to people. And then somehow this servant finds himself right in the middle of a potential civil war between two rival kings. To make things even more intense, the rival king in this account had just clocked on to who was responsible for his army's defeat. And so he's on his way to capture them. Suddenly, this servant isn't living the dream life of ministry that he may be once hoped for. 
And so you can just feel the fear rising up in him as this account, as he goes out early in the morning and the city is completely surrounded by an army with horses and chariots. And they're looking for him and Elisha. There's no way out. So this guy is terrified and he comes back to Elisha and the Bible says, he says, alas, my master, what shall we do? Makes it sound rather calm. But I imagine him kind of running in going, master, what are we going to do? We are surrounded on every side. And Elisha (coughs) says to him, don't be afraid. Who are with us are more than those who are with him. Elisha has God's perspective. And in this moment, when any human being would be completely freaked out, Elisha has hope. And so he prays that his servant will be able to see the situation from God's perspective. And there's this amazing moment when he prays that his servant's eyes will be open. And suddenly he is able to see all that is really going on. God's got them totally covered. But in the natural They are completely surrounded and completely outnumbered. But in the supernatural, the hills are filled with angel armies. Angels of the Lord sent to protect them. When the servant's eyes are opened, he is able to see things from God's perspective. His fear goes away and he's able to hope again. And all our lives contain those moments when we feel surrounded on every side. And we find ourselves in those moments, we have two choices. Either we can be like the servant and see the armies all around us and let fear into our hearts. Or we can be like Elisha and look up. Look up to the hills and see what God is up to in that moment. And we will find our hope is restored and our fears are dispelled. We will always find ourselves with that choice to see the angel army or not. And it all hinges on whether we are prepared to look up and ask for God's perspective. We see this so frequently in the Psalms, don't we? When David is so often freaking out because all these enemies are coming to attack him. But then he always gets to the end of the Psalm and then he realises that he has to look up. So often the Psalms, if you read through them, you see all this craziness goes on around David and then he often ends a Psalm with something like, and yet I have hope, and yet I trust you, I rest in your care. Because he he starts off freaks out just like the servant does, but he remembers to look up like Elisha and he knows hope again. And that's the same choice for us. Will we be like the servant? Or will we have eyes like Elisha? There's this game we play, I play with the youth. Um, And it's a great game, it's called the Ice Cube game. And uh, it's not as bad as it sounds. You You give every young person an ice cube. And you say to them, hold on to the ice cube. The one who can hold on to the ice cube for the longest wins. And you can always tell the youth that are going to win. Because some youth have cottoned on that ice melts. Because have you ever had an ice cube? It hurts, doesn't it? It really hurts. And so you get the kids that, that hold it and they go, oh, that hurts, and let it go. And then you've got the kids that hold it and go, 
Well, it hurts, but I know it's going to melt. They've got a totally different perspective on it. They know the certainty that that will melt. You're going to try it with your kids at home now and work out which, one, which one's more switched on than the other. I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> which one's got perspective and which one's don't. And it's exactly the same. If Elisha hadn't looked up and gained God's perspective in that moment, he would have given in to fear. But seeking God's perspective gives this hope that blasts out those fears away and gives light in darkness. J.K. Chesterton said this, Fairy tales do not tell children that dragons exist. Children already know that dragons exist. Fairy tales tell children that dragons can be killed. We don't need to read our Bible to know that there are situations and forces that make our lives difficult. We read the Bible to know that these forces have been defeated. When we see the world through God's perspective, our dragons get a whole lot smaller and we learn to hope. Let's jump back into the account. Because God's perspective changed everything for Elisha. And his servant and all of a sudden the tables are turned. So what is going on with this army that's come to capture them? They've been sent to potentially do the easiest mission in the world. Capture a prophet who's like one guy and his servant. And they've got this whole army surrounding the city. They are cruising thinking this is an easy day's work. Then all of a sudden they're struck with blindness. They're stumbling around going what's going on, not knowing anything. And then suddenly all together at the same time they get their eyesight restored and they realise they're right in the middle of enemy territory. And they're looking straight at the king who has been trying to destroy them. These guys are having an absolute nightmare. This is like the worst day you can get at the office. Can you imagine at that moment looking up to the king? And they're like praying their last prayers. They start saying goodbye to each other. And then they hear Elisha say, no, don't kill them. Let's give them a massive feast. The best feast they've ever had. I think in that moment you might think you've lost your mind or you're hearing things. And then before you know it, you're being entertained by the king at the best feast you've ever had, and you're sent home to your family and your king. This is a crazy day for the army. So here's my question. Why does Elisha offer his captures a feast? Why not kill them? Why feed them? And I think the answer is because he has God's perspective. Because God's perspective shows us how to live. When we seek God's perspective on situations, we are facing, we make choices that don't actually reflect our natural human choice in that moment. We make choices that honour God and not ourselves. We make choices that allow us to act more wisely than we could ever do living out of our own human perspective. You see, Elisha could have had all, all these captures killed but by offering them a feast, he not only shows them the grace of God, but he also instigates political peace and stability between two rival kings. It's an absolute genius move. The Bible tells us at the end of this passage that the men returned, and they tell the story, and then, the, then this rival king stops invading 
Israel's territory. This is such a wise kingdom move. Seeking God's perspective in that moment taught him that gentleness is so much stronger than force. God's perspective shows us how to live and the Bible is full of this incredible wisdom and strategy about how we live our lives. But it's the Bible so much more than an instruction manual or a guidebook on how to live. I'll let you into a little secret. You know on the Alpha course where they say the Bible is like a really good manual you know, that tells you how to live? I hate that. <laughs> I absolutely hate it because I've never read a manual in my life and I don't intend to. This isn't just some kind of rule book. Because being a Christian isn't about what you don't do or what you do. It's about learning to understand why God doesn't want certain things for us or does want certain things for us. This book is all about learning how God sees the world. To see the moments of potential around us. To see the angel armies. To learn to view people from God's eyes. Because when we do that, we start to live in colour. Everything takes on new possibilities. Every single person we meet is someone whose God's heart is bursting for. You see, God's part, part of God's design is in calling us his sons and daughters is that he wants us to leave our fingerprint on the world because our fingerprint is his fingerprint. He wants us to live lives with such heavenly perspective and from such heavenly power. And living out of that perspective is something that we continue to learn, to grow, to do in our lives. And it's a mixture of actually seeking God's strategy in our lives. It's like when the king turns to Elijah and says, should we kill them? Elisha pauses and says, no, I'll give him a feast. There was a moment where he checks out God's perspective. And the more we get to know God better, the more instinctual that becomes for us. As Christians, it should be natural for us to see things as God sees them, as they really are. Jesus does this all the time, doesn't he, in the Gospel accounts? He's always telling his disciples, I'm only doing what I see the Father doing. In every moment, Jesus is seeking God's perspective. And the Father shows him where to go and who to speak to and what to do and what not to do and who not to speak to. Just like Elisha who looked up and got this crazy kingdom idea of giving a feast. Jesus is looking continually up and checking what the Father is doing. And so we should be constantly looking up and checking what the Father is doing. You see, viewing life from God's perspective was so instinctual for Jesus. It was natural. He, Jesus was so incredibly intentional about seeking the Father and spending time with him to ask him, what are you doing? Where are you working? This is why Jesus so often goes and spends the whole night in prayer to try and figure out what the Father's doing. And I think we need to be just as instinctual, just as intentional in seeking after God's perspective. As we enter a room, we should look to God. What are you doing here today, God? What are you saying? 
as our eyes get focused on God's hand, we will see where he's working and what we are to do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this account. An account written so many years ago happened thousands of years ago. And we thank you that just then, a man like us could look up and see what you were doing. We pray that through your Holy Spirit in our lives, we're able to look up and see what you're doing and where you're working. Holy Spirit, would you, would you help us to intentionally seek what God the Father is doing, that we may, like Jesus, be hands and feet that leave a fingerprint and a mark of the kingdom. We ask this in Christ's mighty name. Amen.